raised to life in Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly and merciful Father, I am so glad that we have so many people that acknowledge you as Lord. But they acknowledge you as Lord because they have died and they've been raised to life in you. Lord, there's not one of us who does not confess Jesus that does not know that resurrection power of you, Lord Jesus, who have cleansed us and released us and made us new just by your grace and mercies. Not that you had to do it, but because you wanted to do it. So Lord, as we show this and I share this message with your people, Lord, give them hearts to receive, ears to hear, and eyes to see. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. So, the message and the key verse today to focus on is John 17, verses 1 to 3. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. So let's jump straight in. Do you believe in miracles? Yes? Do we? We're very quiet for people that believe in miracles. Yes, I believe. You believe. Just the bare fact that you're sitting in this chair is a miracle. We'll come on to that. So what's our understanding of what a miracle is? Merriam-Webster calls it an extraordinary event manifesting divine intervention in human affairs, which we can see through the healing miracles described in the Gospels. And then Collins calls it an event that is contrary to the established laws of nature and attributed to a supernatural cause. Very big words. Let's uh, make it a bit more straightforward. For me, a miracle is a supernatural, extraordinary occurrence that can only be attributed to the work of God. It shows God's power and his kingdom breaking into and overcoming our reality and our environment. 25% of the Gospels are Jesus' miracles of healing. And Jesus also gave his disciples authority to heal, seen in Luke 10 verse 9 and the book of Acts. God has used miracles many times to get his message of love and mercy across to his people and to show his compassion for those in need. They are supernatural acts that go beyond human understanding. I don't know how many stories you've heard, but there are testimonies of people going into a hospital and people being prayed for in hospital and the doctors being confounded. This shouldn't be possible. That's God at work. That's God's miracles. It's not our science. It's not our understanding. It's just the will of God. They've been seen from Old Testament times, but they were more restricted to crucial moments for God's people in very dark times. However, from Jesus' ministry onwards, we see a much greater number of miracles. And they didn't stop there. They went through, through into the apostles, and we still see some even today. These miracles have ranged from physical healings, resurrections from the dead, and to impossible physical events, such as the feeding of the 5,000. So what does the New Testament say about miracles? Well, let's go to the source. Why did Jesus perform miracles? Well, the book of John is the last gospel in the Bible, and it contains many unique stories, such as the death and resurrection of Lazarus. John's gospel focuses on the deity and humanity of Jesus. The key purpose in John's writing in the gospel 
of writing his gospel is seen in this verse, in John 20, verse 30 to 31. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. John wants his readers to know who Jesus is so they can believe and know how to come into eternal life in him. It shows Jesus' divinity and that he is not only the Son of God, but he is God himself, equal and always to the Father and the Holy Spirit within the Holy Trinity. John's Gospels depict Jesus' seven I Am statements, which in the historical and cultural context would have been understood as Jesus likening himself to God. We must always remember this. Don't take this lightly, church. When Jesus was saying some of the stuff that he was saying, he could have been killed at any moment. Because as far as the Jewish authorities were concerned, he was blaspheming, which was punishable by death. The words most used to describe Jesus' miracles in the Bible are wonders, which the people amazed and marveled at, signs, which showed the proof of the presence, the power, and the work of God, and the powers supernatural, beyond human works or laws of nature. Jesus' miracles were also referred to as his works, as we see in John 5.36, and bearing witness of him that he came from God, as John 10.25 shows. A key theme running through John's Gospel is resurrection and new life in him through the Spirit. In previous chapters, Jesus has had many run-ins with the Jewish authorities, this was the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the high priests. And through his teachings, he was having run-ins with them because of his teachings and the healings. So he had to withdraw to a place called Perea. The resurrection of Lazarus is one of the seven great signs that John shows to show his audience that Jesus is truly who he says he is, the Son of God, the Messiah. Lazarus' death and resurrection foreshadows Jesus' own death and resurrection. So we'll turn to the Gospel of John from chapter 11, verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. Previous verses had shown that Jesus had developed a very close relationship with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus prior to this. And Martha and Mary call for Jesus because he's ill. Now please, church, when we think, when it says ill, I mean, we may think, oh, he only had a cold. Yeah? No. It was serious. Very ill. Terminal. John notes Jesus' love for Martha, Mary, and Lazarus in verse 3 and 5. Yet he doesn't set off straight away, but intentionally stays two more days before going to Bethany, two miles from where he was. Why? 
because this miracle was to bring glory to God, the Father, and God the Son. Let me just stop there. I don't know about you. Are there times where you just don't understand what God is doing? This is Jesus, God, and his friend who he loves is sick. And knowing Jesus, he already knows how sick he is. Yet he does not set off. He's two days away and they've got to walk. There's no Uber. You've got to walk. Yeah? But yet he stays. Why? Because he knows what he's doing. Let's see. Before they set off, Jesus already knows and tells his disciples that Lazarus has passed away. The disciples warned him that the Jewish authorities were eager to kill him as well and would actually try to stone him the last time he was there. But Jesus would fulfill his father's will and was not afraid even for his own life. Lazarus had been in the tomb four days when Jesus arrives in Bethany on the eastern slope of the Mount of Olives. If he had not been dead, as in he was in a coma, because he was entombed like a mummy, he was certainly dead by the time he got there through suffocation. There is no doubt Lazarus was dead when Jesus arrived. John 5 talks about the resurrection, eternal life, and raising people from the dead. And Jesus states categorically to Martha, one of the sisters, when he sees her that, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. That's John 11, verse 25. So let's pick up the story again in verse 32. When Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? He asked them. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much he loved him. Jesus feels the sorrow of Mary and the mourners who followed her and he's moved by the emotion and loss that they are expressing. Jesus wept, but he's not weeping out of sorrow because he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. It is believed he wept because he saw and felt the impact sin and death had brought into this world and to those he cared for. We see his annoyance and his frustration against the authority death had gained through sin. But more strikingly, we see his compassion, sorrow, and care for those he loves. Jesus goes to Lazarus' tomb and instructs him to remove the stone from the cave's entrance, where his body laid. So tombs in this time were just caves in the hillside, and they would just roll a stone in front of it, a very heavy stone, to, on, in front of the entrance. As we've said, Lazarus has been dead for days, and his sisters are not really relishing the opportunity of opening up the cave entrance because in, those, in that country it's very hot and the bodies decompose very quickly. So they didn't really want anyone to see that sight. However, they followed Jesus' instructions and they removed the stone. Picking up from verse 41. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me. But I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here, so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, 
his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. Jesus had already asked God to raise Lazarus, but praise out loud for the benefit of those around him, for them to believe that the God the Father had sent him and heard his prayer. He commands Lazarus to come out. Still bound in funeral wrappings and probably hopping out of the tomb, Jesus instructs them to unbind and release him. Many believe in Jesus through this. Jesus performed miracles so that people would believe in him and in the Father who sent him. When he was challenged by the Jewish authorities to do a sign to prove who he was, he refused because he understood that regardless of signs or not, they would not believe. I don't know about you, but there are some people I encounter, and it doesn't matter what I say about Jesus, how powerful my testimony is, they will not believe. Because as far as they're concerned, their mind and heart, sadly, are closed. I pray we, as the children of God, never allow that to happen to us. John 12, verse 1 and 2, and 9 to 11. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Jumped in verse 9. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priest decided to kill Lazarus too, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. So not just the people who experienced the miracle saw or heard them. Many around them saw and experienced proof of the miracle. The witnesses of the miracles were not just followers of Jesus. They were also his enemies who wanted nothing more than to disprove him. This angered and frustrated the authorities as they could not deny Jesus was doing works only God could do. And this put Lazarus' life in danger as he was proof of this miracle and through it many believed. As I said earlier, we pray for the persecuted church and there are still people whose lives are in danger to confess the name of Jesus. But they understand the miracle of his life. Jesus didn't use his miracles to big himself up or to impress people. He did them to help, release, heal, and show his love and care for people. So my challenge to you and anyone who may be on the stream, why should you believe in Jesus' miracles? Because his miracles point to who he is, the Savior. He's the life giver to those who would believe in him. But be warned, there will be people who try to hinder your opportunity to receive this revelation. Although Lazarus was raised from the dead, he would die a physical death again. But his experience and testimony, not just from him, but his family, friends and neighbours, could never be denied. Lazarus was not the only person Jesus raised from the dead. He also did this for Jairus' daughter in Luke 8, verses 4 to 1 to 56, and the widow of Nain's son, Luke 7, verses 11 to 17. Throughout Jesus' ministry, we see the complete authority he had over all things, even life and death. He even forgave sins, which in that time was blasphemy, as only God could forgive sins. Lazarus' resurrection from the dead was a magnificent miracle of God, but a greater one was to come, when Jesus would die 
but rise again to his eternal resurrection on the third day, fully defeating sin and death, and showing final confirmation that he is the Son of God and God himself. Amen. 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 Romans 5, verse 17 to 19. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Genesis shows us there was new abundant life in the Garden of Eden. There was no death in it. But through Adam and Eve's sin, the Garden was introduced to physical death for mankind and the end of the perfect relationship between God, the Creator, and His creation, not just mankind. Again, pick that up, church. Everything fell at the fall. It wasn't just man. We're not the only ones paying for it. When you see that mad screw with the nut, they're looking at you thinking, I remember Adam. Because all of creation fell. It's a significant thing that Jesus did. Adam's sin brought physical and spiritual death into the world. However, God is life, and he already had a plan in place to restore us from both deaths through his son, Jesus Christ. God's grace and Jesus' righteousness and sacrifice at the cross have now brought new eternal spiritual life and healing to the world. No more condemnation or separation from God through Jesus. A quote from A.W. Tozer. To seek God does not narrow one's life, rather it brings it to the level of highest possible fulfillment. That's true, church. My life didn't come alive until Jesus came. I didn't realize what life was until Jesus came. I still don't know what life is because he's still got more for me to come. He's the fulfillment of the highest. There is true life in God alone. God meant for us to enjoy life, yes, That's why I took that quote. How many people have you heard, I'm a Christian, ah, you can't do this, you can't do that. Okay, but what have I lost? You may have it. Are you gaining from it? I don't think so. Sadly, our rebellion led to destructive and hurtful pleasures God never intended us to experience. They've led us astray. They've birthed desires and motives contrary to God's character and will. And his new life brings us back in line with him. New life in Jesus brings authenticity. We see things truly for what they are through Jesus' eyes. And he transforms us to be offended in his image, not seeking falsehood, but truth in everything we do and see. His miracles bring new life and healing, spiritual, physical, mental, and emotional healing. It brings acceptance and inheritances beyond our imagination, a joy and a peace like no other. Before Jesus came, anything humanity touched that was sinful or unclean would be corrupted completely. But in Jesus, he completely flipped that. Wherever Jesus touched anything, he did not become unclean. He made whatever he touched become clean. Whatever he touched was healed, freed, given new life. Jesus, God himself, gave Lazarus back his life and he wanted to do the same. He wants to do the same for us. And we do not have to die a physical death like Lazarus did to give, to receive his life and to be cleansed completely once for all time.
In Jesus, we have new life through the Holy Spirit. Once Jesus touches you, you are never the same. He wipes the slate clean and he renews you. Jesus could only be at one place at one time when he was a man. Now by the Holy Spirit, he has made the ultimate way for God to be with us. Only personal trust and faith in Jesus will bring the new life he offers. We will all experience physical death. Yes, church, we will all die. Unless Jesus comes back before that happens. But for those who believe, we will not experience spiritual death leading to eternal separation and punishment from God. His new life ensures that on Christ's return, we're going to enjoy an even better experience, fellowship, and relationship with God than Adam and Eve ever had. We will be with God for all eternity in a new heaven and earth, all together, church. We're all together. Lord have mercy. Anyway. And it will be glorious. It will be glorious. Aim at, sorry, a quote from C.S. Lewis. Aim at heaven, you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, you get neither. Very true. If you're looking at worldly things, you're not going to get heaven or earth. Aim for Jesus, you get heaven and earth. His new life in us allows us to start to understand the great love God has for us. The thing is, I can't say that I still don't understand how great the love is, but I'm trying to catch up. Jesus came so we could all live with him, God Almighty. We did the wrong, but Jesus not only took the blame for us, he went even further to make it even better for us than it could ever be. His new life begins the most beautiful relationship you will ever have with someone. Sorry, June, Jesus takes priority. He is with you always, despite our failures and our part of the relationship. Jesus is the truest, most faithful friend you will ever have in your lifetime. And best of all, you know what? We're in relationship with God himself. You can't get better than that, church. John 5, verse 26. The Father has life in himself, and he has granted the same life-giving power to his Son. This is it. Jesus is life. He is the creator of life, so he must also have the power to restore and make new life. The glory of God is revealed to those who will believe. His children live by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7. But listen, church. Faith must always precede what we want to see in reality according to God's will. Knowing Jesus is what life is all about. Now I'm a Liverpool supporter, up the cop. But that's not what life is all about. When you come to that realisation, it is life-changing and you're never going to be the same again. God's creation is still good, church. The birth of a newborn child. The many wonders that this world holds. Many that we would like to see before we pass to Jesus. But it can be even better with Jesus in your life. So to finish, the story of Lazarus shows us the following. Jesus is who he says he is, the Son of God, Saviour, and King of all believers. And believe this, Jesus never lets those he loves down. And lastly, there is only eternal life in Jesus. Jesus healed many by touching them. 
In Lazarus' case, he spoke the words and it came to pass. I would encourage you, is he speaking to you today? Don't ignore his invitation, but take his hand and let him lead you to new life in him. Jesus still performs miracles to this day. I believe the greatest miracle we will ever experience is the miracle of God's salvation in our lives. So I encourage you, call out to the merciful, gracious God. Let him be your Lord and Saviour. Let him be your light, and he will birth new life in you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Amen.